0: Good morning, welcome to Fremont Community Church. It's great to be here this morning. If you're joining us online, we're happy that you're here. Uh, Let us know that you're paying attention by voting yes or no on this question. Pastor Will thinks I, since I started wearing my glasses, that I'm starting to look like the old guy from Up. So if you're online, just uh, yay or nay. Do I look like the guy? No, not yet, not yet? He says yes. All right, whatever. I need to lose some hair. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> it's getting white quickly. Uh, <laughs> let me pray for us before we uh, dive into the Bible this morning. Uh, God, thank you so much for uh, this time to be together. Thank you for this time to worship and remind ourselves of our need for you. Um, Lord, we we we, um, we sometimes live in, in, a, in a place and a time where it's easy to think that um, uh, we can take care of ourselves. Um, and then, Lord... Life comes along and remind us reminds us that that's not always the case. So thank you for this reminder that we need you and that we can draw close to you and you care for us. That you are faithful, then you'll be faithful again. Uh, we we open up your word because we want to hear from you, Lord. Um, speak to us. Uh, help it, help your word make sense. And God, we just uh, we we we're here to just encounter Jesus. Show us yourself. We want to know you. We want to be more like you. In His name we pray. Amen. Um. We're in this series about Christ and culture, and we're looking to uh, Jesus. We're looking to Jesus. How did he interact with the world around him? How might that inform how we interact with the world around us? And one of the things that we have to recognize uh, when we're in studying God's word is that we're not starting in a vacuum. We're not starting as if uh, the church is brand new and, and the, the, we have no history and that there's no previous interaction with the culture around us. So we may have an ideal of what it looks like to interact with the culture around us, but one of the things we have to reckon with is that we come to this as a church family in this time and place uh, with the church having a reputation, good or bad. And, and you may know this, it's really hard to shake a reputation once it's earned or given to you. I know this because I had a reputation of being a poorly behaved child growing up. Uh, I've shared with you this story about how I uh, rebelled against my second grade teacher, Mrs. Finelli, on day one, and that set up a whole bad school year. That reputation of being a misbehaved child followed me throughout all of school uh, until later, even late in high school. In 10th grade, I was in geometry class with Ms. Gibson, and uh, we did not hit it off. Uh, We did not get along. I did not... Care. I did not care if I got a good grade. I just wanted to make my friends laugh. And after a while, she just started kicking me out of class. And I'm like, "Awesome. I don't want to be here." Uh, and so, so I would just wander the halls of the school while uh, you know she taught her class. And eventually, I pushed Miss Gibson too far. Uh, about three quarters away uh, through the uh, school year, we had a confrontation, and I crossed the line. I said things I couldn't take back. I behaved so poorly that I received what was called a special F. Uh, my grade in the class was good enough to pass, but my presence was no longer welcome, and so I fail. And uh, it doesn't matter what I do, that's it. I've got to take geometry again last year. But joke's on you, Ms. Gibson, you're the only geometry teacher, so you get another year of this. <sighs> so, I went into my junior year, and I was like, hey, can we start over? And she just was like, I'll try. And and I worked really hard to try to undo this reputation that I had earned, and it took a while, but we eventually became on good terms, and uh, I passed the class, and and when I left the class, I thanked her for being patient with me and giving me another chance, and it it was really hard, though. I mean, not only did this reputation come from before I ever met her, I reinforced it with my behavior again and again and again, and it was going to take a lot for me to show her I've changed, I'm different. And this is the reality of of where we're at as a church. And I'm not speaking specifically of of Little C, Fremont Community Church. I'm thinking Big C uh, Church, especially here in America. The the church in America has a reputation problem. Whether that's earned or whether that's just based on misunderstandings where we've kind of not been able to figure out how to communicate with the world around us, Unfortunately, people see the church in America as judgmental, as hypocritical, sometimes hateful, too political, irrelevant, power hungry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've got a real reputation problem on our hands, and so as we think of how we interact with the culture around us, we have to understand that that may be the starting point for some people as they look at the church from the outside. This is our last week in the series "Christ and Culture," and. I spent a a few weeks sharing with my point of view somewhat about how we got this reputation. You know, too often the church has sought to to, to align itself with power so that we can enforce our way of life on others. And and in the process, the church becomes corrupted by that power. Uh, Even more so, while, while we were seeking to go big and change the world, we forgot that our marching orders from Jesus are to love our neighbor. That we should be thinking locally and loving our neighbors as ourselves in real and tangible ways. And so that's a part of how we got here. And this week I want to look one more time for uh, Jesus' words and his actions and how they might shape us for this cultural moment we find ourselves in as we are seeking to change our reputation with the world around us so that we might show people who the true Jesus is. So let's look together in John 13 what, is, what does Jesus want our reputation to be and how do we as a church uh, move forward to work that out to become that kind of people? This is John 13, a, a, a passage that Jesus, uh, it tells about Jesus and before the last supper, before his last meal with his friends, just before he's arrested and beaten and crucified and then on the third day rose again. This is, this is some of his last conversation with his friends. And it goes four chapters. This is a long conversation he's having with his friends, but it starts in chapter 13. Verse one. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all these things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that, he was, that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am now doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless you wash, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my whole head as well. This is classic Peter. If you read the, the, the New Testament, he's always like, he's either all in or all out. He's like me. I, I totally relate to this guy. He's like he, 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 always writing checks he can't cash with his mouth. Um <laughs> Jesus answered, Peter, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm actually gonna skip ahead to verse 34 because these verses are connected, but there's some other stuff in between. Verse 34, Jesus, after doing this foot-washing ceremony, says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love this passage of scripture. This passage of scripture helps us to understand that love is not a, uh, just words that we say. Love is not just some empty gesture, but love is demonstrated. Love is demonstrated, it's worked out, it's lived out. The story of Jesus washing feet, it's it's one of these stories that has captured our imagination throughout church history. And Peter's pushback makes total sense. If you view the world through worldly human eyes, they've come to call Jesus Lord, they're his followers, he is their leader, their rabbi. And so in the power dynamic at play, what's most typical? Well, the followers, the servants, they exist to serve the leader. And this is not just any leader, and they know it. This is the Messiah of Israel, the one who is promised to be the Savior. This isn't just any rabbi, not any lord. This is the one who will change the course of human history. So Peter's reaction makes sense. This is not how it works. You don't wash my feet, I wash yours. This isn't right. But Jesus is showing them a new way, the way of his kingdom, where the last is first and the first is last, and he says the greatest is the one who is the servant of all. He flips it upside down. It's a powerful story, but there's one important aspect of this that I feel sometimes gets lost. Sometimes uh, feet washing in in the church world gets turned into a symbolic gesture. If you've never experienced this, uh, oftentimes churches will do this. I'm sure it's happened at FCC, it's it's happened at every church I've been a part of, where there's some sort of uh, foot washing, actual foot washing that takes place as a symbol of mutual love and commitment, of mutual service, of mutual submission to one another in community. And and I'm not bashing it. It's actually a really beautiful thing. But what it does is it makes the foot washing that Jesus does into nothing but a symbol. The story actually talks about the Jesus-shaped love that we're called to. And we want to symbolize that, and that is cool. But for Jesus and his disciples, foot washing was not a symbol. It met a need, a real need. See, these, <laughs> these guys aren't walking around with a pair of Jordans on. They're not walking around even with some Birkenstocks. They're walking around on these things. I call them Air Jesus's. This is literally the footwear they had. Poorly made, easily breakable, most of your foot exposed. These are the sandals that people were wearing at the time, and their roads were at best dusty. You ever go for like a, a hike on a trail, especially during a dry season, and you come back and everything is covered in dust from the waist down. I went for a jog on a trail recently, and (laughs) I've got a pretty bad farmer tan situation going on all the time, but it looked extreme because everything from my short to my sock was darker because of all the dust that was on my leg. And (laughs) when I took my sock off, it looked like I was still wearing a white sock because that was the contrast, because that's what happens when you go on a dusty trail. That's the best case scenario for Jesus' disciples as they come to this meal together. The roads that they're traveling on are not paved, and this is where livestock are transported, right? You know what happens when livestock are transported. They don't have porta-potties for sheep and cattle, right? The roads were disgusting and filthy. And when you're wearing those bad boys, there's not a whole lot between you and all of these elements. So when you come to a meal, one of the things they would do was have a servant who would be there to wash your feet. and it, Usually it was a pretty low-level servant. This is a humiliating job. It's, a, it's actually a very gross job. And it was a tangible way of him showing love. It wasn't just a symbol. Yes, it was symbolic of something, but it wasn't just a symbol. It was meeting a real need. These, these, men, had, these men and women had traveled On this long journey to Jerusalem and their feet came into contact with some nasty things. And here's Jesus, the Lord, the rabbi, the master, being the one to make himself the lowest and wash their feet. He gets close to their literal messiness and he serves them in a way that meets a real need. And I, I don't say this to throw shade at, at feet-washing ceremonies because, I, like I said, I've been a part of them, and they're, they're actually pretty meaningful experiences. But, but the reality is I can wash your feet. We can all wash each other's feet and then ignore each other's texts when one, it's time for one of us to move, right? Or, or I can ignore your text when you say, hey, I'm really struggling, I just need to talk. Or, hey, I'm struggling to make rent this month. I don't know what I'm going to do. You see, Jesus met a real need. And when we talk about feet washing, what Jesus is setting up for us here to do is that love is demonstrated. It's not just a gesture. It's something that actually makes a difference in somebody's life. It's tangible. Look again at, uh, uh, at verse 12. He's saying serve one another, love one another by serving each other in real and tangible ways. He's saying to us, I'm not above serving and neither are you if you want to follow me. Be like me. And they love me. he promises blessing. When we do this, blessing will come. I don't know what that looks like, but he's saying you will be blessed when you do the things that I do. So love is demonstrated. It makes a real difference. It's active. But love is commanded as well. I want to hone in on that piece of this, too. The love that Jesus is demonstrating here, he's commanding that we do it. And Jesus did a lot of teaching in his ministry. He taught us a lot about what God's heart for this world is. But he doesn't throw around a ton of commands, but here he does. And so when he does, we should probably pay attention, right? A new command I give you, love one another. When he says a new command, he's not saying, hey, when you get around to it, or hey, if it's convenient for you, or hey, try to love the people who are easy for you to love. Now he's saying this is how people will know you are my disciples, my people, my representatives. They'll know it when you love one another because that's what I'm all about. Well, why is this radical? I I think some context will help us to understand What Jesus is saying here, because it's not just some easy thing he's throwing out there. Think of the people who we know are in the room. It says his disciples. It doesn't say it's the 12. We know the 12 are there, but there's probably more people there. It says his disciples were there with him for this meal. In that room was a tax collector, Matthew. That man was hated by everyone else in that room at some point or another. Because Matthew, the tax collector, worked for the evil occupying Roman Empire who was coming to his people, the Jews, and not only taking taxes, but taking a little extra, taking a little off the top for themselves. Tax collectors are listed among the worst sinners in the New Testament because of what they were doing to their own people. They were despised. They were hated. And he's sitting in a room with Andrew and Peter and James and John, fishermen, who have had money skimmed off the top of their business by tax collectors like Matthew. He would have been their enemy. Then you've got at least two zealots in the room, and zealots were a political party, they were a nationalist party, and they wanted to kill some Romans. And so some tax collector that's taking money for the Romans, Judas and Simon, these two are in that room going, can't wait for my chance to kill Matthew. Honestly, that's that's what they would have been seeing. When Jesus invited him to come join the party, they probably were furious. And here they are sitting around a table together. Not to mention, you've got uh, people who followed John the Baptist. Andrew, before he became a disciple of Jesus, was a follower of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was pretty upset with Pharisees, he didn't like them too much. And the fascinating part of all this is that most of the disciples, politically, religiously, ideologically, were closest to Pharisees, including Jesus himself. I think the reason Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees is because they. They had their theology right most of the time. They just didn't live it out properly. They were his own tribe, so to speak, and so he was roughest on them. And you've got these Pharisees and these John the Baptist people in the same room, and you know they don't like each other. Furthermore, there were at least four women in the room, three Marys and a Martha, because Mary and Martha were sisters that followed Jesus everywhere. His mother Mary also followed him everywhere, and Mary Magdalene was one of his most trusted disciples in the group. And you know it bothered these men when Jesus elevated these women to a place of equality, when he empowered them to do ministry. You know it was hard for these men when they were writing their gospels to allow the character who first proclaims the gospel to be a woman. It was radical. And they're struggling with this. I guarantee you they're struggling with this. And all these people are sitting in a room around a table, and he says, look at each other. I don't care what your differences are. Love one another. I command you to love one another. Why does this matter? These people should not coexist together. If they were to pick their own friend groups, they would not have chosen each other. But Jesus chose, chose them. And honestly, it's a miracle that they get this far in the story before somebody betrays one another like Judas eventually betrays Jesus. The divisions that existed, I'm gonna be very clear, these arguments that existed amongst these people, far more divisive than what we even face today, as hard as that is to believe. The tension were high, the stakes were high. It was a rough time to be a Jew in first century Roman-occupied Palestine. But Jesus said, stick together. Serve one another, show the world the power of God-shaped love, love that outshines any division in this world. Let them know that you belong to me by loving one another. I want to recommend a book to you. Uh, Scott McKnight is an author, uh, New Testament scholar that I really love and have gotten to study under. He wrote a book called A Fellowship of Difference as in different people, a fellowship of difference. And he he does this to highlight the fact that Jesus shows the power of his love by designing a church where people who make no sense together become a family. As Jesus had all these different people around a a table celebrating Passover, he says, we too, across every ethnic, racial, national, generational, and political category, we too gather in worship around a communion table. So next week, when we take communion together, think about that. Look around the room and see the power of God to bring this fellowship of difference together, a people who shouldn't belong together, but under the Lord Jesus, we become family. It's powerful. And Jesus says, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. And I take it a step further, and I would say, this is how the world will know who the true Jesus is. Because unfortunately, the church hasn't always done a great job of this. When people are asked what they think of the church, you know, they describe us mostly in terms of, of what we're against, and they struggle to, to name what we're for. And we've earned a reputation for Jesus that blurs who he truly is. We've shown people something different. In our interactions with culture, what if we were defined by our love for one another? What if people saw different generations and socioeconomic classes and ethnic groups, Democrats and Republicans, Baptists and Anglicans and the list of ways that we are different could go on and on and on. What if the world saw us not just attending the same church together, but in each other's homes, around each other's tables, fixing each other's cars, visiting each other when we were sick, watching each other's kids when you just need a break. What if this kind of Foot washing was the primary thing people saw when they looked at the church. And I'm going to be honest, I see a lot of that around here already. I really do. I mean, I've seen so many people serve. When they hear of a need, they jump into action. I've seen so many people sacrificially give and love other people in this church. And maybe we at FCC haven't, Earn this reputation, but it means that we've got to try all the much harder because we're associated with churches that have earned this reputation. Jesus often would, would, would say more important than having the perfect theology and belief system is living out our faith in tangible, sacrificial ways, loving people by following in his footsteps the one who washed his disciples' feet. So I just say as a church, thank you for the ways you already do that, and let's just continue to lean into it more. Let's continue to lean into that more. Be the church that people in Fremont go, that church really loves this city. That church really loves each other. That church just seems to love. That just seems to be their nature. Let's continue to lean into that. That brings me to my third point here. Love starts in here, but it moves out there. Love starts in here, and it moves out there. Jesus is saying, do this, be this people. Why? Because then people will know that you're my disciples. It's not meant to just stay here. It's meant to go out beyond the walls of this church. Most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, I love this verse so much. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus has been on a mission to reconcile all things to himself, and we have to have humility. We as the church, we can't save anybody, but we can live as witnesses who testify to the saving love that God has for the world. It starts in here. It starts with us being shaped into a community that demonstrates God's love for this world. And it works its way out. Love starts in here as we, uh, as we who are a fellowship of difference, commit to one another, to loving each other, to tangibly serving one another in a world where this doesn't make sense. How? Well... This is actually where we came to what we call our strategic focus here at FCC. Um, a while back, the elders were, were just studying scriptures. Dozens and dozens of scrip- scriptures. What, what are the common themes that come up when you read passages about who God's people are supposed to be and what they're supposed to care about? And, and when you dig into these things, we came, to, we came up the four things that we as a church just wanna chase after over and over and over again. We wanna be about these things. And when you dig into them, they all really just summarize what Jesus said was the great, greatest commandment. When asked what's the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. This strategic focus just helps us find tangible ways to live out this love of God and love of neighbor. And so this is what we came up with. These are the phrases we came up with. Authentic worship, radical discipleship, dangerous justice and mercy, and loving community. This is what all of our efforts, they need to be going towards these four things as a church. Authentic worship is pretty obvious. It's about loving God. It's not just singing and praying. It includes these things, but authentic worship is a whole life response to the love that God has shown us. Through through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he deserves our worship, our whole self. Those who truly understand the magnitude of God's love and grace that he has shown us, they respond with their whole lives to honor it. We love God because he first loved us. So we worship not as a show or for others, you know. We, we, we don't say clever words hoping that we'll impress God and make, make him love us more. Instead, we just live in ways that say, thank you, Jesus. You have loved me And I want that love to spill out into every area of my life. That's what authentic worship is. Radical discipleship is about giving our lives away. The world lives by individualism, but Jesus came to give his life away for the sake of others. And so that may seem crazy to other people, but when we fully commit to Jesus, it costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us our own ego and on and on. We invest in the lives of others relationally, even at the expense of ourselves. Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what he calls his disciples to do. I've said this before, but each of us should be able to answer the questions, who is discipling you, and who are you discipling? And I especially want to encourage you, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, it's easy to get stuck in a rut sometimes of thinking that, you know, discipleship is reading the Bible, praying, and going to church. But discipleship is more than that. Discipleship is is pouring into other people and allowing them to pour into you. It's it's coming here on Wednesday nights and watching adults of multiple generations come and play uh, this weird version of cricket uh, and, uh, and volleyball and whatever else we do to have fun together with our youth watching people like me who've got gray hair trying to connect with young people and saying, here's what God has shown me in my life. Can I share it with you? And hey, you've got a perspective on this world that I don't have. You've got something to offer me too. Let's disciple one another. Let's be in this relationship where we figure out together what it means to follow Jesus. It's not about being attenders of church. It's about investing in lives When you give yourself away, this is the best part. Jesus says, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. When you give your life away for the sake of others, you find true and abundant life. I believe it because I've seen it again and again. Dangerous justice and mercy. Something I touched on last week, so I'm not gonna spend too much time on it, but dangerous justice and mercy is this. Mercy is showing God's love to individuals who are going through something. Being merciful and helping take care of a need. Justice is then setting up systems that will help more and more people because the roots of the problem don't just stop with one person. They're everywhere. And so how do we address the need on a bigger scale? Well, that's where justice comes in. So for, for mercy, we, we help individuals as they go through things, and then we say, how do we make sure we take care of others in the situation? So we make ways to participate in systems. Right here in our own church, we've got a benevolence fund to help uh, people who who call FCC their home through tough times. Um, That's that's both acts of mercy, but then a system that's in place to help others, right? We partner with ministries like Compassion Network and Foster the City, organizations that have seen these huge problems that are going on in the world around us and say, we need to do something about this. Speaking of Compassion Network, Last week, we talked about compassion cards. We had nine compassion cards. We've had four people take compassion cards, that means we have five more. This is a great way to show mercy, the love of Jesus in tangible form to somebody who's going through something. So maybe it's diapers. I'm not sure what all the needs are. I know diapers was a big one. Maybe it's something else. Before you leave, go and see Priscilla Highland out there at the, the, the Compassion Network desk and grab one of these compassion cards. Let's make sure we meet every one of these needs. I saved loving community for last. Because this is how I want to close this morning. It all starts with us. Jesus said this is how the world will know that we belong to him. I think this is the way the world will get the truest glimpse of who Jesus is. It's here that we join together despite our differences to authentically worship together. Many voices becoming one voice. It's here that we pour into relationships with one another, not simply looking to how I might live out my own faith and grow in my own faith, but the way we pour into each other and grow together. It's here that we take care of one another's needs through acts of justice and mercy. This is a powerful testimony in a world that looks to the church with skepticism. I don't want this to sound too harsh, but what if we just stop trying to be right all the time? What if the church just stopped trying to have a loud voice in our culture? What if we just said, hey, we're gonna opt out of the arguments and the culture wars and we're just gonna focus on that? How do we become a church that is shaped by the love of Jesus Christ that washes feet, that every need is met, that everyone experiences the love of Jesus in real and tangible ways? What kind of testimony would that be to the world? Instead of telling people that the path to Jesus works, we just show them. We just show them that it works. We show them that it's life-giving. As we talk about Christ and culture, this is what Jesus did and he's calling us to do this again. He's calling us to return to this. When a world can't figure out how to deal with divisiveness between Democrats and Republicans, we're called to show them that it's possible. When the world can't sort through our racial history and wonders if healing is even possible, we are called to come together from every background and show it's possible. When Gen Z and baby boomer Christians don't seem to be even speaking the same language, let alone having any idea of how to understand the way the other person thinks and sees the world. We make space to come together to show the world is possible. What starts in here moves out there as we love our neighbors and we demonstrate that what is possible with God is impossible anywhere else. We show them who Jesus truly is. I'm gonna invite the choir and the band to come back up we're going to close in worship today but I want to say this this kind of feet washing this kind of community it won't happen naturally it won't happen by accident in fact it can only happen supernaturally with a group of holy spirit filled people who not only believe it's possible but commit to it and so that's the question I want to leave us with today Will you commit to it? Can we commit to not just being attenders of a church, but being truly invested in this community, serving and being served, loving and being loved? And just like Jesus did with nasty, disgusting feet, can we take the risk of getting close enough to each other and the messiness that we all bring into this place and say, no matter what, these are my people. It doesn't make sense that we're all in this together, but somehow here we are and we're all in this together. Let me pray. God, I I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that that as we're sitting out there looking for answers to how to to deal with all these big world problems, you're taking your towel and washing feet. You're showing us the way. It's not to go big, it's to go small. It's not to try to dominate, it's to, to think locally and how do we serve? Jesus, you showed us the way. The master, the Lord, you washed feet because you love us. God, help us to receive that love, to truly understand what that means. And as you've commanded, help us to turn around and share that love with one another. Help us to be the kind of church that just is oozing with love. That when people come here, that's that's what they experience. God, may that, that... burst its way out the doors of this church and into our homes and our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces, everywhere that you have us, Lord. May your church, with this reputation that we've earned, whether it's fair or not, may we gain a new reputation as Jesus' people who love the way that Jesus loved. It's only possible by your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Continue to show us the way. Make what is impossible possible. We pray in Jesus' name.